and you are live in the studio of Triple H 100.1 FM. Welcome to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd, with myself, Alexi Boyd. And uh, we've got a great show lined up today. In fact, it's a double barrel, double guest fest fantastic loads of information available to you as the listener and it's all about small business education. Now to begin with today we're going to be talking to Adam Long who is of course the ethical CEO. There aren't too many of us who in our early 30s could have said we had founded a successful world-renowned social enterprise, travelled to a third world country multiple times and been inspired in business, had billionaire mentors and then had it all crashing down around us only to pick ourselves up and be spoken and speak publicly all over the world about that journey. But Adam Long certainly can. He's earned the title as the ethical CEO through these challenges. He's a powerhouse of the social enterprise world. He's a co-founder of Conscious Steps, Socks That Fight Poverty, the founder of CEO Smarter Drafter, and the as the ethical CEO finds revenue for businesses that matter, such as right now, Humanitics. It's a name synonymous with doing good in the events world. He's going to share with us his journey. It's not always warm and fuzzy, and it's not always smooth sailing in the not-for-profit sector. Thank you so much for joining us today, Adam. So excited to be here, Alexi. It's great to have you on the program because we've had a little bit of a um, a run with social enterprise. Not deliberate. It seems as though... 2020 is the year for uh, the social enterprise entrepreneur to really step up and not so much do their thing because you've been doing it for years, but actually uh, step to the front and really, um, I guess, lead from the front when it comes to small business. We were talking about it just before uh, we went on air. Do you think there's a general change, a shift in the mood uh, for, for social enterprise to become more prominent? And, and why do you think that shift is there? Yeah, there's two things that are really going on here, Alexi. So one is people of every generation have wanted change. And in the past, those tools have been usually government and nonprofit. What's new is that people are realising that business is a really powerful force for change as well and a way to get things done. The other thing that's happening is that shift in business from recognising the traditional view of uh, a business being there to produce shareholder value and recognising that value doesn't have to just be financial. If the shareholder values a world not suffering from climate change, the business can be a part of actually driving that. So it's extending from shareholder value to shareholder values. And we've kind of had that shift, haven't we? Because I think in the last, say, 10 or 15 years, we've heard about these shareholder meetings where uh, people with the power, people with the funds have said, you know what, I'm, I'm not happy with the way the direction this is going. I want to see change. And they've they've walked with their money, I guess. But now social enterprise walks with more than that. It's it's really about their time, their effort, the, the, the time it takes away from their families and the whole notion behind profit for purpose. I love that expression, profit for purpose, because it means that, yeah, 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 I'm making some money. I'm not just doing it out of charity or out of volunteering. I want to make a, a, a real go of this and I want to make a... a, a, a I guess funds. I want to be able to live. But at the same time, I want to be able to make social change. Let's talk about that balance because that's that's a tough one to find, isn't it? Making enough money to live and then and then uh, being able to give back. What's what's the ideal balance in your mind? Yeah, absolutely. Look, that balance is one of the drivers of social enterprise as a tool. Uh, many people have recognised that starting a non-profit or a, a campaign for education, for example, without taking into account the long-term viability of this program, puts people in a cycle of begging or requiring uh, donations in order to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, many, many charities suffer after a few years when the initial enthusiasm of fundraising has worn off and those uh, founders look around and say, well, how do I make this sustainable? So social enterprise is considering right from the start sustainability from a business perspective in that the people who work on it every day, if they can pay their bills, feed their family, achieve their dreams and free up 
all their time to work on changing the world, well, that's an incredibly valuable use of their time rather than just trying to fit it into the spare time you can get on the weekend or around your uh, normal job. Yeah, exactly, because a lot of us who, and I imagine there's a lot of small businesses out there who do a lot of volunteering in their own small small community, uh, it's about fitting it in and in your spare time. So it, this is about making it your main focus. When we all start out as a business, we have our, uh, I guess, business plans at whatever, how many 15 page document or whatever it is, the template that you find online to start doing it. Is there a different template from a practical point of view when you've got a social enterprise? What are the things you should be looking for if you want to set one up? What's your top tips at the startup point? Yeah, that's a really great question. So the the first thing, which is often a surprise for people going into social enterprise, is recognising that it's still a business. And that means just being ethical is not enough for your business to succeed. Yes, you can have an ethical product or service, but it also has to be the same price or cheaper than competitors. And the quality has to be the same or better than competitors. And the best example of that is Humanitics that have done a really good job of creating a platform that's better for event organisers to ticket their events. It's better than the alternatives out there. It's cheaper and event organisers get to say, hey, look at this impact we're making in the world as as well. So building into the model uh, that's uh, sustainable impact and making sure that you're considering the value of your product to your customers is essential right from the start. So you're saying it's not really viable to create a product and then say two or three years in once you realize hey okay I'm doing okay I'm starting to make some money now I'm going to shift to be more of a social enterprise do you have to do it from from the beginning do you have to have that I guess charitability versus profitability in mind from the start no, absolutely not. Uh, any any organisation can decide this is really valuable for them and find ways to make a difference. For organisations who are already in business for a number of years and looking at this for the first time, a great way to explore that is looking at a B Corporation certification, which maps out all the different things you can do in a business to have a really positive impact on the world. Is that expensive, that process? Uh, it's actually, you can do the, the uh, process for free online using their system. They've got 200 criteria that uh, are amount to an ethical business and they say if you've got 80 of them that's pretty good and that counts as being a, a business that is doing some really good stuff in the world and what was that model again Can it's you... called a b corporation a b corporation yeah, so google b corp and you'll find some great information on it fantastic and it is available for free so i encourage anybody even if you're in business and you want to become more sustainable more uh social enterprisable <laughs> just made up a word, uh, then you can have a look at doing that and tick as many boxes as you possibly can. Hey, why don't two of you, two businesses, do it at the same time, then like have a competition to see how many boxes you can tick? Oh, absolutely. You can do the process as many times as you like. Many do it to find out just how far off the mark they are. And by doing that, they learn, well, here are the easiest things to do to make my business really ethical and, and a social enterprise. We're actually talking to BBP, which is a, a wonderful Better Business Partnership uh, enterprise support mechanism put uh, put together by Sydney Councils a little while ago. Um, and I had a man on the program and she was talking about why not get one of your staff members who's really passionate about this probably about 20 or 30 years old who's going to be driver the driver for this and and they can be the ones exploring what boxes can be ticked and what can be done uh, and 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 make that their their passion and make it that how they can make a difference within your small business yeah I think that's a, a great idea to get the ball rolling uh, it also encourages the owners and CEOs of the business to take this seriously and put it at the core of what they do Now, one of the things I wanted to talk about today is your journey because uh, it's been tumultuous. It's been not always easy. Um, The the way you come across is is obviously very professional online and and together and with it. 
but it hasn't always been that way. It's always been, there's been some ups and downs. So um, take us through that, that process that you've been through because it is a really fascinating story. So my journey into social enterprise actually started with the 2004 Boxing Day tsunami, which triggered an emotional reaction in me that amounted to five years of depression from that day onwards. Now, in dealing with that depression, I... I felt I needed to do something to make a make an impact and exploring what I could do brought me to this world of social enterprise via volunteering with uh, with engineers without borders. The key moment for me was while volunteering in the Philippines in uh, the town of, of Dawis, uh, I met a little girl called Jacobia. She was following around the, the group I was with and I realised it's a Tuesday. It's not school holidays. She, surely she should be in school. She was still there on Wednesday as well and I thought, okay, something's going on here. And later that day, as, as happens with these, these groups that go overseas, we were in the local mayor's office. And so I asked the mayor his thoughts on this, why he thought so many of the local children weren't going to school. And he puffed up his chest with pride and talked about all the finance that the government was giving to build new schools and make things happen, but they really struggled with finding teachers that could really inspire the kids. And I stayed up at night thinking about that, well, how do you create generations of great, passionate teachers? Now, a couple of days later, I was actually at the school where Jacobia should have actually been at school and got to speak to a teacher, and I realised she was very passionate. She was inspirational and asked her why she thought the kids weren't going to school. And she said, well, the teachers can only do so much if the kids come to school. If the parents don't value education, if they're sending the kids out to work, what can a teacher really do? And that kept me up at night thinking, well, yeah, what can parents do when sending a kid to school or to work means the difference between whether the kid eats or not? Those are tough decisions to make every day. So I talked to Jacoby's parents and asked about it. Turns out she wasn't getting sent out to work. Turns out they were packing her school lunch every day and encouraging her to go, but she'd walk out the door and then just not turn up at school. And I realised at that point, okay, I'm asking the wrong people. And I asked Jacobia herself, why aren't you going to school? And she gave me this look like, well... It's obvious, isn't it? She said, the toilet has been broken for months. I don't like going to school because I don't like peeing in the street. That just floored me. The idea that a broken toilet could actually get in the way of someone having an entire education made me realise that there are very small things that can add up to a lifetime of, of, of impact, of opportunity. And toilets are a phenomenal thing. There's still around uh, over a billion people around the world who don't have access to proper sanitation and water. And uh, one of the charities that Conscious Step supports, which is water.org, uh, founded by Matt Damon, uh, amongst others, uh, has done a lot of really good work for making those changes so that people like Jacob Beer get to go to school because they've got the toilet there, among other things. It's um, you're absolutely right. It's almost granular. It's it's interesting that you just had to get around and talk to the right people to really find uh, what what the difference needed to be to to get this one little girl to school. Tell me, uh, tell me then what what happened with um, your first enterprise with with trying to explore this and solve this problem. Yeah, so I studied industrial design at university using products to solve problems. And very often I'd come up uh, in an argument with our lecturers that they'd pose a problem where the answer wasn't a designed object. It could have been a business or a policy change or uh, an education campaign, something different. So quite forward-thinking lecturers then. Uh, <laughs> they weren't just going, here, build this, make this, design this. Ironically, they're the pioneers of design thinking. 
but before it was applied to all aspects of business. Before design thinking was cool everywhere, it was just on iPhones and computers and the like. So I wanted to make a difference in the way things were being manufactured and explored a 3D printing business, which was called Beehive. Uh, this was also the realisation of a lifelong dream of mine to be a CEO. I'd set up a business, uh, had 100000 in in funding from a, a, a an ethical investment group down in Melbourne and thought I could not be stopped. First thing I did was make a business card that said CEO and I gave one to my mom, gave <laughs> one to my friends. And over the following nine to 12 months, that bank balance diminished and diminished and diminished. And I didn't know how to turn that around until the point on Christmas Eve that year, I realised this wasn't going to work. I had to sit down two staff, these two people that I'd gone to uni with and hired, they'd put their faith in me and say, I'm sorry, guys, there's no business to come back to next year. We're, we're broke. And I can tell you I felt about as high as a, as a puddle on the floor uh, in that moment and then going into Christmas and, and dealing with it. So I'd, I'd finally become the CEO I wanted to be and failed at it. And that was crushing. Now, in the months that followed, I, uh, I ended up applying for 52 jobs in marketing. And the reason I applied in marketing was that was why the business wasn't taking off. I didn't know how to make customers appear at the time. I didn't know how to do sales, how to generate revenue. So I'm like, I've got to learn this. So applied for 52 jobs. Uh, the marketing department at Vodafone and elsewhere must have looked at my resume and gone, industrial designer, engineers without borders, 3D printing. Why is this guy applying here? And unsurprisingly, I didn't get very far there. Now, the reason I was able to keep going and applying for these jobs is actually because we've got an amazing safety net in Australia called Centrelink. And having that support from Centrelink is something I'm really grateful of because it meant I didn't have to go to the very first job I could get. It gave me the time to actually get the right job to try again in, in the future. And it's an incredible thing uh, to recognise in Australia that welfare does allow uh, entrepreneurship. It means people don't have to sink all the way to the bottom before we can boost them back up again. And uh, yeah, couldn't express my gratitude for it more. So I wasn't getting the jobs in the marketing uh, teams. It got to the point where I saw a couple of very clever marketers on stage, one of them being Ashton Bishop, who started a company called Step Change. Uh, and they were talking these marketing models off the top of their head. And I realized that's what I need to learn. But I wasn't going to send my resume in again. That clearly didn't work for me. So the next time they spoke at a conference, I went along and when they said, who's got a question for us to solve on stage? I put up my hand, went out the front, got down on one knee like I was proposing to them <laughs> and said, we should be together. Can I have a job, please? Wow. Now they had 200 potential uh, clients in the audience who'd all had a few beers by now and they're like, whoa, yeah, give them a job, give them a job. And so I said, oh gosh, um, yeah, you can start Monday, just get off the stage. <laughs> So I started Monday and spent the, the next seven years working with the, this company, ended up becoming a, an equity partner uh, and working with hundreds of different businesses, sitting down every day with the CEOs and owners and founders of these businesses and unpacking uh, where they got stuck, how they got started and really learning marketing strategy sales and, and how to apply it. What I love about that story is that you went back, uh, you recognised that social enterprise wasn't working for you at the time and you had you really sat down and did a bit of a self analysis and said, well, what is it What is it that I'm missing? What is that skill set that is lacking? I'm going to go and get a J-O-B and actually learn all the stuff. But then you stuck with it until you'd felt you'd gained enough experience to go, okay, I can tick that box, tick that box, tick that box. 
So you went back out into the world to start a new company. And is that, um, is that where the socks came from? Yeah. So Conscious Step came out about the same time when I decided, as well as advising other businesses, I wanted to take a few risks of my own and put my money where my mouth was. So Conscious Step started as an idea with uh, two others, Prashant Mehta and Hassan Ahmad, who I, uh, I met at an event. And we started working together and said, well, what if we can take socks, something that lots of people, everyone needs, you buy a lot of, maybe we can get a bit of loyalty out of this, maybe we can win on marketing and make sure each sock is actually funding a charity. So we created pairs where uh, one pair sold would, would plant 10 trees, for example, another would feed three kids in refugee camps. And we started off at Glebe Markets, just set up a stall. We got some socks from a $2 shop, embroidered them with the logos of the uh, sustainable development goals, sold them all at a loss. But the point was to have conversations with people. What do you like? Is it the styles? Is it the charity? Is it the cause that matters? Oh, what do you think of this packaging? Is it for you is it for somebody else and doing that at Glebe Markets week after week uh, we just learnt so much about what the business needed to do. So you were your own survey monkey. Oh absolutely. You were the survey monkey before there was a monkey. Well look I'm not a big fan of surveys because the only answer to a question uh, worth asking is will they hand over their credit card (laughs) and you can only do that when you've got a product to sell. That's the key question when testing a a business model. So we had enough information from that to launch a crowdfunding campaign which funded our our first major order. was a disaster. We rejected half the order and gosh knows there's been uh, plenty of lessons learnt over the years. Because the quality wasn't up to scratch? Yeah, or? we went through 12 factories before we found one that had high quality, had all the certifications we needed from fair trade and ethical perspective. Can I stop you there? Because uh, international travel is not cheap for someone who is perhaps just starting out. Um, is that because you had the funding to do the crowd? So just in terms of the order of practical things... Mm. You did the analysis of what people wanted, mm-hmm. then you came up with the product and the design, then you crowdsourced the funding to get you mm. to those 12 factories to find the right factory, and then you tried your first run. Is, is that how kind of it works? Oh, I, I, I wish it was, uh, it was that clear, Not but that linear, th- as, right. as an order of events, yes, we sold before we made, and that was the key thing. So we, we generated enough pre-orders to say, yes, this is a business worth pursuing and pursuing hard, and... Customers who support a crowdfunding campaign are some of the best customers you ever get. They understand that things take time. They want to come on the journey with you rather than necessarily get 24-hour delivery from, from Amazon. So when we say, hey, we need to take longer, we need to try different things, they're on board with that journey to, to see you succeed. So we went from crowdfunding through to professional investment to the point where now we're in thousands of stores around the world. Uh, the socks are worn by Jane Goodall, Matt Damon, founder of Water.org, funnily enough. Uh, and you can find them in everywhere from David Jones in Australia to the Shedd Aquarium in Chicago. And obviously that's not an overnight success. We're talking years down the track. That is a very long, slow grind. And uh, hats off to Prashant Mehta, who took the CEO role and uh, spent many years sleeping on couches and eating noodles in order to get to that point. Now, the business has been doubling consistently every year since we started, but it started from a pretty low base. Yeah, and I think everybody, uh, the main thing I'm, I'm getting from your story is the fact that it is not just success after success after success to be a successful social enterprise. There's a hell of a lot of failures along the way um, and mistakes made that you learn from. How do you sit down with the three of you and um, sort of reanalyze? What, how does that conversation go where you sit down and go, okay, we stuffed that up. Uh, what are we going to learn from it? 
Yeah, speed of learning is actually one of the the key factors as to whether any enterprise will be successful. How quickly can you test an idea, build on it and and go from there? It requires a really safe environment to be able to honestly talk about mistakes. The mistake that uh, many businesses make is they play the blame game before they try and learn anything from a mistake. What do you mean by that? So something goes wrong. Usually it's not because someone was negligent or didn't care. People are turning up to the job because they want to be there. If something goes wrong, there could be a system, there could be a process, there's something that's gone wrong. And if you say, you know what, it's your fault, you're a terrible person, you never get the opportunity to diagnose and, and grow that business. So that speed of learning is, is really important. Uh, it's easier to learn quickly on software than it is with socks for example. So, for example, Humanitics got to the same point as Conscious Step in three years that took uh, Conscious Step seven years to get to. And part of that is because software, you can make a change in the morning and see the difference by the afternoon, mm. whereas it takes six months between placing an order for socks and them arriving on store, store shelves. Yeah, and that's, that's the difficulty, isn't it? Because a lot of people, obviously, there is a material part of being in, in social enterprise and, and that, that supply chain is quite tricky. Mm. Talk to me about the supply chain because that's, that's really important part of um, the ethos behind mm. the product. How do you know if you're pro- producing something which is made from materials? How do you know at every step of the way that what you're doing is ethical? Yeah, so there's two things we need to do. One is looking at the certifications. So fair trade certification on the cotton and SEDEX is a certification for the way textiles are made. Can I just be a layman here yeah. and go, are those reliable? So the way that they're actually measured is inspectors go and check each stage of the of the process. So we know every step has been reviewed properly to get there. Uh, Yes, there's always a, a, a risk of, of a, an, an individual factory getting involved in fraud, but it's very easy to check whether they're making you know, truthful claims or not. And that's why the inspectors go in to, to sign things off. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is we have our own inspectors. So we use people on the ground in, in India where these, where these socks are made who go and check regularly. They help with quality control, but also make sure that the, the conditions are good. So we've, uh, we've met many of the people who actually make our socks. Uh, most of them are are in their, their 20s and 30s. Quite a few of them are using their, their job in the sock factory to save for university and we're delighted that we're a part of helping them meet their dreams too. So it's about being on the ground and really staying connected with with that. And, and that, I'm assuming, takes time and money with the travel costs and things like that. So you need to be set up in your business plan in the beginning to understand that that needs to be a part of it. Do you think that's really important? Absolutely. Uh, they're all costs of doing business. And this brings to a really important point about social enterprises. Now, The temptation with a lot of businesses is to say, first we'll make a profit, then we'll do good. And this is the difference between a business that has a a good intent and a social enterprise. So a social enterprise will find a way to make their positive impact as part of the operations of the business rather than waiting for them to have a profit at the end. Because, well, any new business takes a long time to to generate a profit. And uh, there's always a temptation to put the profit back into the the business to invest in the future. Uh, In June, most of your accountants try and make the profit disappear so you're paying less tax and shift it back a year. Profit can be really ethereal. So with Conscious Step, for example, uh, we, we donate to the charities for every sock that gets manufactured. So when our packaging says this sock plants 10 trees, that's because, yeah, we've already made the donation. And then the risk, the commercial risk is on Conscious Step to make back that money. So it doesn't matter whether we sell it full price, half price, or give it away in a show bag, that charity will always get, benefit, uh, get the benefit of it. And I think that's what makes, um, makes your social enterprise different 
from others because that profitability it's 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 already donated before the pro- at the point of the product's manufacturer rather than you know when it's when it's produced rather than when it's sold yeah, that's right and it, that is a difference so, it's hard so building though, it that, into the systems but that must be difficult because the outlay and the risk is much much higher because you're not even getting a profit but you i guess you're saying you factor that in at the point of production not at the point of sale. That's right. Simple as that. Yep, simple as that. So uh, Thank You Company uh, does something similar. They have a way of making sure their impact always happens. Uh, Humanitix is the same. Every ticket that gets bought through there has an impact. Excellent. Adam, we could talk about this for months. Uh, There's lots and lots to talk about with you at the program. I'd like to invite you back on the show um, in a couple of months' time just to hear how things have developed and changed, talk a little bit more about social enterprise and the development of that, and maybe we can also discuss um, what events and uh, things that are going on around the country that people can tap into who are interested in in social enterprise entrepreneurship. Thank you for coming on the program. Uh, uh, Tell me where people can find out more about all of the different projects that you're involved with. Yeah, so you can find them all through theethicalceo.com. That's the hub for the social enterprises that I work with, which include amazing ones like Humanitics, Conscious Step, uh, KPMG High High Growth Ventures team at the moment, uh, a company from Sydney called Baraha, which makes laser sensors for self-driving cars. You can find it all through there. Fantastic. Thank you once again for coming on Triple H 100.1 FM. And guys, if you've missed any of today's program, you can, of course, catch up via iTunes and smallbizmatters.com.au. Join us after the break. We're going to be talking to Jan Reeves, who is an author of Get Paid. We're going to talk about getting that money in the door in the first place to help your cash flow, develop those relationships with your clients and make sure that you can stay on top of your finances. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM and Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after these announcements.